Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Thursday. Uh, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We're going to have our kind of normal podcast coming up. Where we're going to talk about tight ends and then uh, Mary Kay is going to jump back on a little later and talk senior bowl. But first of all, Mary Kay, I wanted to talk about this Hugh Jackson stuff that's been going on over the last, we're recording this about 6.50 on uh, Wednesday. Talking about this Hugh Jackson stuff that has been going down over the last 24 hours. So just to sum it up super quickly, uh, Brian Flores sued the NFL as part of his allegations. He claimed that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered him $100,000 per loss to tank in 2019. Uh, a representative uh, of Hugh Jackson, she's the executive director of the Hugh Jackson Foundation, claimed that the Browns did the same for Jackson, Andrew Barry, Paul Podesta, and Sashi Brown. Hugh kind of went along with that story. We just heard him, though, on an interview with Sports Center, kind of backed off of that story uh, when L. Duncan asked him about it. Look, it, my head is spinning just talking about it. So, what are your thoughts on kind of all of this that has gone down? Well, first of all, to, to back up a little bit, when Hugh Jackson was let go by the Cleveland Browns, uh, he gave me an opportunity to come and talk to him at his house that very day. And he, you know, he kind of poured his heart out to me and he really vented about a lot of different things. Now, some of that went on the record and I wrote about it. And some of that was kept off the record uh, because he was waiting until a later date and said I couldn't talk about it or use any of it until he was going to, you know, write about it. It all had to go in the vault until he was ready to, and I think he's still working on a book perhaps, uh, but, you know, until he was ready to go come forward with that and go public with it, he did not want me to write those things. But uh, he indicated to me back then that there was some sort of, uh, I don't want to say a financial, necessarily a financial incentive, but there was definitely overtones of, uh, you know, I, I was not expected to win. I was, uh, you know, I was somehow incentivized not to win, not necessarily financially, but uh, the vibe for him or the feeling for him was, you know, we, we don't want you to win games right now. We want to kind of get those high draft picks and, and sort of tank for those number one picks. So, uh, so I, I definitely knew back then that he felt that way. Uh, so none of this is surprising to me at all. I heard a lot of this sort of stuff. Um, but to take it to that next level where you're actually, like, like you said, the foundation lead, Camp Kimberly, you know, stated that Paul D. Podesta, Harry and Hugh Jackson were financially basically paid to tank. And, 
and I, I, I don't know if that is something that, that Hugh is pre prepared to go that far with it right now. He can prove everything that he's saying. Now, this did go to arbitration uh, once before with the Browns, and he didn't get anything out of it. But again, as of right now, with, he's striking while the iron is hot, while Brian Flores is in the middle of a lawsuit, which Hugh Jackson will probably join. I think he's viewing this as an opportunity to shine a light on what he feels like is an injustice in minority hiring in the NFL. So, you know, one of the things that I think sort of got lost in this, you know, kind of what he was saying on SportsCenter, and I, I do think it's sort of the important point here, and I think it's sort of what Brian Flores was getting at. So, and this to me goes beyond whatever you think of Hugh Jackson, whatever, whatever you think of what he had to say, whatever you think of these allegations. One of his bigger points that unfortunately just sort of got lost in all of it was he was put in a position where he had to be the face of this. It ended up getting him fired. And the gist of this whole lawsuit is how difficult it is for minority coaches, for black coaches to get hired and get jobs. And so in Brian Flores's case, he sort of had to be the face of what the Dolphins were trying to do. Hugh Jackson is, is saying that he had to be the face of what the Browns were trying to do in those two years. And he ultimately, I mean, I guess you could say he, he paid the price for it, but he was brought back after 0-16 and, and under a new regime. But I, I do think, despite everything else, that's sort of one of the bigger points of this. Yes, and that was one of the things that really always upset him so much, that he felt that he, when he was hired, that he was brought in to win games and that they were going to make every single effort to do that. He does not feel like that was done, and he does feel like, it taints the reputation of a minority head football coach. And there are so few of them in the NFL. And he feels very, very strongly about this, that it, it gave minority head coaches, especially him a bad name. And that that is just something that they can't afford right now. I mean, nobody is uh, doing the right thing and, and hiring minority coaches when they really should be doing that. Uh, and, and I think hopefully the end result of all of this for everyone is that, uh, you know, that that changes. I mean, that does need to change there. You know, there can't be, you know, one minority coach in the NFL. I mean, that's just not, you know, that's just not going to cut it. And uh, this has been going on for a long, long time. Uh, the sort of what you might call, uh, you know, the cursory interview instead of you know, really getting an opportunity and then in the case, uh, and, and again, I know that Hugh feels very strongly about this and is very passionate about it, uh, to, to allow him, in some ways, he feels he was set up to fail. And it's unacceptable to, uh, to have something like that happen. Okay. And obviously, for those of you listening, if, if you're wondering, life on the road, Mary Kay is at the airport in Mobile, Alabama. So uh, you heard a little bit of, a, of an announcement back there as she was talking. Um, so I, I guess... The question is now, and we might not know this for a while, I mean, where does this go? You mentioned Hugh might join this. If, if it gets to a class action level, Hugh might join in on this lawsuit that Brian Flores has put out there. I, I don't know. I mean, what's next? Is that? And, and then, where, you know, how long could this take to really work out? Well, I do think that, um, that they're, I'll put these on so we don't have any more announcements, Dan. I'm uh, <laughs> putting on some earphones here. Um, so I do think that um, they're, that it's going to drag on for a while. 
because um, I do think that Hugh Jackson will probably join the lawsuit. We have heard other NFL coaches chiming in now and saying they've experienced similar things. And, uh, you know, so I think that you will have other coaches uh, that join in and try to affect change. And again, if the end result is uh, more minorities getting head coaching jobs and having an opportunity to last in those jobs and succeed in those jobs and get set up for success, then that's going to be a good thing. And that is absolutely what everybody would like to see happen. So hopefully that's it. I think that this probably will go on for quite a while and, um, and it could get kind of messy. I mean, we all saw the statement from the Browns. They said that those allegations, specifically the allegations about uh, the fact that those, uh, those three men were paid off or in somehow financially incentivized to lose games was a complete fabrication. Now, we heard Hugh on ESPN in his interview saying, you know, let's, let's put it all out there. Let's put our cards out on the table. Let's do whatever we have to do, uh, you know, to, to get this thing resolved and out in the open. So I think that we have only just kind of scratched the surface of this. Okay. So a long ways to go, obviously, uh, on this. And the, you mentioned that Brown statement, how they, they said that uh, the allegations that losing was incentivized uh, were, were completely fabricated. So probably going to be some more back and forth over this. And then, of course, uh, if, if it does, in fact, reach the courts, I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of those receipts that Hugh Jackson uh, claims to have. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send it to, uh, I had a chance to talk to Ashley Bastock and Doug Lane Maurice. We looked at the tight ends and then we're going to bring Mary Kay back on and she's going to tell us about this. I I think we just start with the biggest off-season question. And that is David Njoku, that, that, Saga is finally going to come to a head this this offseason because we've got, you know, it's been trade requests. It's been, I want to stay in Cleveland. I want to be a Cleveland Brown for life. It's It's been up and down with David Njoku over the last two years and certainly in his five years as a Brown. Doug, when we talk about Njoku, how, how do we value him, I guess? I mean, there's a lot of people on Twitter, on Brown's Twitter, who just call him tight end one. It's a no-brainer. There's a lot of people like me who question you know exactly what his ceiling is. I, I mean, how, where is Najoku, I guess, in your mind? It's hard because, like, I still feel like the number one thing with him is potential. And it's like, well, he's been in the league for five years. How can we be talking about potential with this guy? <clears throat> but he was so young when he came into the league, which is part of why he was attractive to that front office. And as Scott Patsko has pointed out many times, he really has come a, a long way as a blocker. And he's really important in the run game and how these guys want to run wide zone and he gets out and takes care of business a lot of the time so that you can't underestimate that. But when you think about what tight end has become in the NFL, it's like, well, who on this roster has the best chance of ever being that a guy like that? Who could be George Kittle? Who could be Travis Kelsey? It's like, well, it's not going to be Austin Hooper. And no, it's not going to be Harrison Bryant, but it still might like in Joku could maybe still be that like in that category. He's not there now. But is it impossible that he gets to that, you know, not quite maybe those heights, but in that discussion, I don't think it's impossible. But then all of a sudden you can start 
chasing and waiting for something that is never going to happen because I still think it's fair that, I mean, he still drops some balls sometimes that you probably can't drop if you're going to be Travis Kelsey. Um, but it's still about potential for a guy who is a veteran, which is weird. He, he is a, I almost think a rare guy on this roster and maybe in the league for how established he is yet, how it feels like we still have not really seen anywhere close to the full upside of what he could be. Yeah, but Ashley, I mean, Doug makes a great point. He is still really young. Yeah. I mean, he's 25. He turns 26 in July. Uh, I mean, I think he's younger than Nick Chubb, who was drafted a year later than him. I mean, he's still so young, and I guess that's why you would still consider. And he's, he's so new to the position even still in a lot of ways. I, yeah. I guess that's why you would consider kind of paying for that upside. Yeah, you are right. Nick Chubb is 26. I just Googled how old is Nick Chubb as you were finishing your question. Um, so I do think with him, even though it sounds weird to still be talking about upside, like that is still very much an element of the conversation. And I do think like, obviously he led the team in receiving touchdowns, which like we can talk about whether or not that's a problem because it <laughs> probably is. Um, he led the team in receiving touchdowns this year. I think he's by far your best blocking tight end. I've just looked at his PFF grades from this year. He had the best run blocking grade among tight ends. And then him and Austin Hooper were neck and neck. Hooper finished just ahead of him with a 64.4 grade and Njoku had a 64.1 grade there. So I do think he obviously gives you a lot. And when you have that added element of him being able to, you know, sort of run block semi-effectively given this offense, I do think that's big. And obviously since Mary Kay is not on this portion of the podcast, I'll say like Baker Mayfield has never really developed that chemistry with Austin Hooper. And I do think he has that with David Njoku and Njoku maybe goes through these ebbs and flows in his production, but I do think there just is something X factory kind of there in terms of that, that the Browns just never have seen from Austin Hooper so far. So Doug, I mean, you mentioned some names there, Doug, you mentioned Kelsey, you mentioned Kittle, you know, there are some really elite level tight ends. I, I guess I want, is it even fair to expect that from Najoku to, to expect him to become something like that? So I'm, I'm trying to do the, the, you know, run through the tight end receiving stats real quick here. Um, so k- k- no, but like right under it, like right under it. If the, if the top tier is Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, like Gronk when he's healthy and Darren Waller, uh, would that be, I mean, those are like the leading guys in receiving Probably. yards per game. That's six guys. So, okay, not that. But then if you're getting into like Dallas Goddard, Dalton Schultz, like the next, like that team. So, it's, I mean, it's like we're back to Baker Mayfield. It's like, okay, don't be a top six tight end. Could, could he be a top 10 tight end? And then the thing of it is, again, it's like this, the Kevin Stefanski offense, should they have a top 10 tight end? <laughs> Isn't that really important for what they want to be, for what they do, for who they are? Now, if it's like, well, we have three and we just spread it around. And if you added all those guys together and pretended they were one tight end, okay, whatever. But like, wouldn't it be great for this offense to have a tight end that defenses have to game plan around? Yes, yes, they need a great tight end here. Well, what's their best chance to get a great tight end? Because Austin Hooper's not going to be that. It's either have this, sign this guy, 
and have him keep developing or draft one or go sign George Kittle for $50 million a year whenever he's a free agent, right? Like, I, I, I don't know, Dan, like, isn't that part of this question? How important is it to this offense to have a great tight end? Is that a is that near the top of the list of of things that they would like to have? Because if that's pretty high on your list, I think this might be your best way to get it. So I, I actually, as we were having this discussion, I actually typed that question out so I wouldn't forget it, like that exact question. Because I, I even went back and looked. So in 2019, in Minnesota, Kyle Rudolph had 39 catches for 367 yards, six touchdowns. It was really one of his least productive seasons. Now, obviously he's, he's older. He hasn't put together a year like he used to have when, you know, he was like top fantasy tight end guy, but you know, he didn't have a huge year necessarily under Kevin Stefanski and he's pretty good. And I'm looking at some other guys, you know, Irv Smith, was on that team. They, they kind of split catches. So he had 36 for 311 yards. I almost wonder if we're seeing evidence, like this is an offense. I mean, this is right in Scott Patsko's wheelhouse. So, you know, just like Ashley, like you filled in for, for Mary Kay, I'll fill in for Scott on this one. Maybe this is a team that plays a lot of tight ends, but maybe isn't conducive to big time tight end production. Then what is it conducive to? What is it? <laughs> I think it's what? literally, That's... I think it's conducive to big time production for Nick Chubb and then kind of everyone else. You figure it out from there. I mean, we've talked about that before. Like it's follow the money as Dan says, I'm filling in for Dan, even though he's here, follow the money. What's this, <laughs> how, how has this team dispersed his, its money in terms of the offense? Two pulling guards and a Nick Chubb. That's, <laughs> That's where it's gone. So I do think, I mean, largely, if you are going to play in this offense, you have to kind of understand that. And I I still question, like, largely, and I don't want to go too far down, like, the Baker Mayfield discussion and whether Kevin Stefanski trusted him, but I still always, like, question how much the 13 personnel has to do with if he thought Baker Mayfield, that was all Baker Mayfield could handle this year, whether it's because of the injury or something else and how different it might look if that wasn't the case if that week two interception didn't happen or, or something else. So um, I do think though, either way, even without that, it's like Nick Chubb is the, is the guiding light for offensive <laughs> production on this team. Wait, and look, not to turn this into a Baker Mayfield discussion. We, we've had plenty of those and we'll have plenty more, but that, I mean, that is part of whenever we talk about a, a pass catcher, that's part of the equation too. Like is Dave, are we talking differently about David Njoku? If, not that he's a top five tight end, but are we talking differently about him if Derek Carr is his quarterback or Kirk, whoever you, whoever you want to mention, Kirk Cousins, somebody like that. If the quarterback play is simply better, are we talking differently about David Njoku today than maybe we, we really are talking about David Njoku right now? I don't know. Because I mean, <laughs> like all these discussions, it's like, what's the quarterback and what's the system? Like, well, what is, so it's like, I am the idea that David and Joku averaged 29.7 receiving yards per game last year, which is on the guys who played like most of the year would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23rd among tight ends in the league. 
And I, I, mean, I didn't get to Hooper yet. So, okay. So this is a, this is a running offense that has three tight ends on the field a lot. And they like to throw to the tight end and their most productive tight end was 23rd among tight ends and receiving yards per game. What is that? Is that spreading it around? Is that inconsistent quarterback play? Is that Kevin Stefanski's offense? They throw to the tight end, but they're all six yard passes. Like what, what is it? I don't think it's David and Joku, even though sometimes when you throw him the ball, he drops it. He only like had two I, drops this year, though, according he to has, his hands have gotten better. Yeah. I mean, compare that to like, hold on, let me, I have his. Okay. So it's not his fault then. Then it's Stefanski yeah. and Mayfield. So like what? So, but don't like, if you said Kevin and he's not going to answer it. Okay. Ashley says, this is designed for Nick Chubb in the passing game. Who is supposed to be good in your <laughs> ideal passing game? Who looks good? Who gets the ball? Who is dangerous? Who do defenses have to worry about? Who is that? Who should it be? Like, I, I don't know what he wants it to be. If we're trying to say like, well, you know, it's not really designed for tight ends to get numbers. It's like, okay, so David Njoku had 29 yards per game last year. You know who nobody, else, nobody else caught anything either. You know who it might be designed for in the passing game? Kareem Hunt. <laughs> like, that's, honestly, I mean, is that where we're at right now? Like, and to to give some perspective on David Njoku's drop numbers, looking at his PFF grades throughout the course of his career, he had career high eight drops in 2018, and he's had seven drops combined over the next three years. So, um, just some kind kind of perspective on how he's gotten better in that regard. So, so here's. I guess here's where I'm at with Njoku. You know, I, I've seen the improvement. We've seen the hands improve. He's become a good blocker. He's accepted his role, all of that. This is where it gets difficult, though, because that's great when he's on a rookie contract or playing on that fifth-year option. If I'm going to pay you four years and $32 million, and by the way, there aren't a lot of good free agent tight ends, so he might be able – I don't know if he can get to 10 on the open market. But if we're talking between eight to 10 a year, I do need to see a little bit of Travis Kelsey in you. I don't need to see you be Travis Kelsey. I don't need to see you be Mark Andrews, but I do need to see like, oh, we can't cover David Njoku on third and five. That's a problem. And that's, that's just what I've seen lacking over the years with him. It's just that like it's third and five or we're on the five yard line going in and we have no idea what we're going to do with David Njoku here. He just hasn't quite elevated himself to that level yet. And that's fine when you're a, a young guy on a rookie contract, but when you, you start making eight to 10 a year, which might, might be the number you have to start being that guy. Yeah. The prime example almost of that is that first game against the Ravens. I don't remember the exact numbers fourth and whatever it was where Baker Mayfield finds him and he has to run a little bit to try to, you know, convert and just can't get there. So, yeah, like those top tier tight end, those guys are making those plays. So kind of agreeing with Doug's argument that maybe he could potentially, the ceiling is like the tier below that or whatever. And then you have to ask yourself, how much monetary value does that have? But I'll also, so like when, uh, you know, my kids want to get, take out food or whatever. It's like, do you want four chicken fingers or do you want six? It's like, I don't care what you get, but don't get six and eat three. Right. 
don't get six and eight, three. So Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski is like, Andrew, can I have a tight end? And it's like, are you going to use it? Are you going to like, are you going to throw to him? It's like, oh, can we, can we resign David and Joku? Well, he better average more than 29 receiving yards per game than Kevin. So that, like, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure. Like, where should they spend their money in the passing game to get the best bang for their buck on production? Because Dan, like to your point, so like, is it, cause there's, it's what's your worth. And then there's what you're worth to your team, to the team paying you. Was Austin Hooper like worth the money that the Browns paid him when they signed him? No, he was kind of like a system tight end in Atlanta. He was good. He was fine. But if anyone thought they were getting the next Travis Kelsey, they were fooling themselves. But the Browns were like, oh, we, we hired this coach. We better get this guy a tight end. He's worth it to us. We've got to get Kevin Stefanski to the tight end. So I got why they paid Austin Hooper that money. Now you're still paying the Austin Hooper money, and he'll never sign another contract here. But would Njoku, like in the free market, would it make sense? Does it really fit? I don't know. But like you, you stretch a couple extra million bucks because maybe he makes sense for them. The way they know him, what they think the upside is. And if Kevin Stefanski promises to eat all his chicken fingers, then maybe Andrew Barry should just go ahead and sign David and Joku. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, that's, that sums it up, I think. But right? you can't pay him $8 million a year right. and throw him two passes a game. Well, especially if Austin Hooper is still on the team. Right. That's a lot of money tied up in tight ends. Austin Hooper's like the appetizer. You can't get the appetizer and then six chicken fingers and also get dessert. Kevin, you can only, you have to eat what you get. I just, and I don't know. That's, you guys know I'm like frustrated with the Kevin Stefanski offense because I don't know even like ideally what it's supposed to be. What do they want it to be other than, you know, get Nick Chubb close to the rushing title. But like in the passing game, what, it's like I wanted, that's why I wanted to be on the tight end thing. It's like, well, I guess this is what they want it to be. And now it's like, is it? And now I'm mad again, sorry. <laughs> All right, so two questions here. The first is, do you think this tight end room looks like it does now in September? And, and I'm just talking like that. I'm, I'm not talking about Steven Carlson. The, the top three guys, Njoku, Hooper, Bryant, are those three guys all on the roster on September I'm going to pick an arbitrary date, September 8th. Ashley has the answer to this. <laughs> no, I don't. Look, I don't know. Like the, the Hooper contract obviously is an issue, right? Like I'm reading your story, Dan, that went up a few days ago, 11.25 million in dead cap. So, but a cut or a trade after June 1st would cut that number to 3.75 million. So the money is obviously a question. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say yes right now. Like, I don't know, like you were saying, like how many good free agent tight ends, like what's that market like right now? I don't know. I think they do try to bring Njoku back at the very least. And I think maybe you sit with that Hooper contract, but I know Doug, like you were the one talking about I don't even remember what podcast it was about how you would like to figure out in terms of this Andrew Berry front office, like how do you value a contract that isn't, I guess, suitable for you anymore because a player isn't producing versus if there's another guy you like, like how do you balance those two things? Like, will you let that contract that you currently have hinder you from signing someone you do like that you think could fit better into your system? Like how real is the money in this scenario? So I think that's kind of like the unanswered question with these guys for me i i really would love to hear 
you know, Paul DePodesta and Andrew Berry sort of break down like dead cap decisions because the idea that like that's if we ask right now, who do you think the Browns like better right now? If it was just you can keep Austin Hooper or David Njoku, but not both, but you got to pick one and you just figure out the money, like in a fantasy world. They haven't, who would they pick, do you think? Hooper or Njoku? Njoku. Njoku, yeah. Okay. I agree with that also. So then can you let Austin Hooper's bad contract keep you from resigning David Njoku? Because you said that's too much money in tight end room. So then in a year from now, when you're going to get off Austin Hooper and take the 7.5 million dead cap hit instead of 11 million, now you're like, oh my God. And then David Njoku just had 59 catches for the Seahawks. And you're going to be like, and now we have no tight ends. Like, I just don't know. Would you just suck? It's a lot of money, but would you just suck it up and have like the highest paid tight end room in the league because you paid Njoku what you need to do, pay him. And you just accept the fact that Hooper was an investment that made sense in the moment that hasn't paid off. We'll keep him for one more year because it would cost so much to get rid of him. And then, you know, we'll figure out the future. We can't pay. We can't have a $30 million tight end room every year, but we can do it for now. Right. I don't, I, 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 I would be fascinated to hear them discuss that because you can't just close your eyes and act like the other contracts don't exist, but you also can't let bad contracts hold you back from good contracts. Right. And like I've generally been a, you know, the salary cap is fake person, but I balanced that a little bit. So like last year, for example, I really wanted the Browns to sign like Trey Hendrickson. I thought he would be a perfect fit for this team, but I also knew Signing a guy for four years and 16 million a year probably wasn't going to be in the cards if they wanted to do other things. So in one sense, you can maneuver the salary cap and you can make it work, but it's the dead money that can ultimately kill you. Like if, if you're paying money for guys you don't have anymore, that's when it really stings because that, that money can't do anything for you at that point. So I, I don't know. I tend to think this room looks pretty similar next year unless Njoku gets a huge offer on the open market like 10 to 12 a year then I think the Browns might balk a little but I think this room looks similar and we're going to get to the draft here in a, in a minute but that, that might be the only kind of change they make if, if they decide to draft the guy what do we think Harrison Bryant's going to be do we think like Harrison Bryant's going to develop and could be tight end one in two years or is he just okay I think he's fine I think he's just a guy that, that is, I think he's just fine. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that he's ever tight end one, but I think he's a useful player. Yeah. Okay. So my other question then off this was, and Doug, you're going to love this one. The Browns were far and away the team that loved to use 13 personnel more. Will we be having that same discussion next year? I hope not. <laughs> Doug's going to get in his feelings on this portion of the podcast. I'm fascinated by it. You know, we're going to have a discussion. Scott and Scott Pasco has been looking up some numbers and like my, my feeling is like, man, it feels like everybody else chucks all the good teams, chuck it around and the Browns run the ball and throw six yard passes to the tight end. Why can't they be like everybody else? But the numbers don't quite bear that out. There have been teams certainly that have had success. The Browns, Two, two years ago, we're one of them that have had success, you know, tr- doing it like this, running the ball and throwing play action and getting the quarterback out of the pocket. I get it. So uh, my guess would be that they're going to open it up some. So if they led the league in 13 personnel by a wide margin this year, 
I certainly think that that decreases. Maybe they still lead, but also a lot of, I think this year was necessity. It's like once Odell's gone and Jarvis was hurt and, you know, the other guys are kind of limited in who they are. And it's like, man, we might as well put three tight ends out there. So I hope it's not as much, but I still think it's significantly higher than the league average for how much they do 13. Yeah, I think this is tough. And I mean, so much of it ties back to, again, like I said earlier, like Kevin Stefanski's trust and or lack thereof in Baker Mayfield. Like, what exactly was the reason for using it this much? And like Doug's saying, if you, you lose Odell and you're, you're kind of at your wits end and you think this is the best way to, you know, be most effective with the pieces that you currently had in 2021, um, and that's why they used it a lot. If they get a new, you know, high-powered receiver that they can look to a lot um, and that room is kind of retooled, like we're, you know, I think kind of anticipating is the room most likely to be retooled on the offensive side of the ball going into 2022, um, then I'm with Doug. You know, I think that number could go down slightly. But again, it's like how much of this had to do with our quarterback is only capable of throwing these six yard passes right now. That's all I, as the head coach, trust him to do in my offense. How much of it was that? How much of it was something else? Like, is it, you know, processing issues? Is it Baker Mayfield's confidence? Like, I just think there are so many questions that quite honestly have nothing to do with the tight end room that have to be answered in terms of how much they use 13 personnel. So this is Doug, you said you had something that you would love to really sit down and pick Paul D. Podesta's brain about. This is this is one for me. I would love to just sit down and have an honest discussion with like, are you running 13 personnel because it kind of fits what you have? Or, you know, this is some all the reasons Ashley basically just threw out. Or are you guys sitting there in that building running your models? I don't know, do they do that? Do they run models on whatever they're doing? saying, hey, we can take advantage of some inefficiencies here if we run this big personnel stuff. Because every team has gone smaller on defense, so why don't we get bigger on offense? It's almost like, I'm going to make another Cavs reference here. It's almost like every team in the NBA is going, you know, fast, shoot, all this stuff, and the, and the Cavs just roll out like two big men, and nobody can score on them. Three it, big men. Three big men, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I forgot about Kevin Love. I do wonder if there's something out there where it's like, you know, maybe this is kind of the inefficiency right now while everybody's small, we're going to go big. Well, that's like the other side of the coin for me. Like, is it all this other stuff that's brewing with your quarterback and your wide receivers potentially, or is it, we think we're outsmarting everyone else and we're going to try to outsmart everyone else. And we don't need, you know, to look to the receivers as much as everyone else does because we're going to run all this 13 personnel and confuse people. Well, sometimes it's just better to go with the trends. I think in the NFL in particular, um, you need a receiver to a good receiver to be a winning team in the 20, the year 2022, you know, that we're going into. So if that's part of it, then I do hope that we see it less going into next season. Um, And granted all this other stuff that I've been bringing up, like if, if that is the case with Baker's injury, whatever else, uh, then maybe naturally that number will go down. But I do worry about this aspect of, are they trying to outsmart people and it just isn't working and they're too close to it to understand that. 
Yeah. I, I sometimes, and I do think sometimes when you're an underdog, you've got to be different, but once you have talent, then it's like, it's okay to do what everybody else does. Just do it well. And so if they draft a receiver or they sign a receiver, you know, I do think a lot of it last year was they had to. And then the year before a lot of it kind of worked. So, um, I don't like talking about tight ends. Can I just, could we just talk about Jamar chase? Isn't that more fun? Maybe it's just more fun for a podcast. Why did I sign up for the tight ends podcast? I'm an idiot. It's already, I'm aggravated. Here's the, I, I did. I looked up these numbers though. So here's, cause here's the other thing, Dan and Ashley, the Ravens are similar to the Browns, right? They like to run it and they've had questionable receivers, but then the Ravens have like the best tight end in the league down. So they got Mark Andrews in the third round and Mark Andrews was awesome last year. So last year, Mark Andrews had 107 catches for 1,361 yards. So Mark Andrews was targeted 153 times. David Njoku, Austin Hooper, and Harrison Bryant combined were targeted 142 times. So you combine their three guys into Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews had, as I just said, 1,361 receiving yards. The three Browns tight ends had 1,053 receiving yards. So that's not as good. Like Mark Andrews is more productive. They did it like they, they had to have a bunch. It's not like they just had one spot rotate three guys through. They're all on the field taking up receiver spots a bunch of the time. But Dan, like, wh- like why don't the Browns have a Mark Andrews? Like if they don't have good receivers and they like to run the ball and they like to use the tight ends, well, so do the Ravens and they have an awesome tight end. Do the Browns have a Mark and like if Mark Andrews played for the Browns, would he be Mark Andrews or would he be like, well, he's one of our three guys and he caught four had 421 receiving yards last year like that. I don't know that. You know what I mean? I think they don't have Mark Andrews, but if they did have Mark Andrews, would he have, 107 catches for 1300 yards or what does that not happen in Kevin Stefanski's offense? If you you guys understand what I'm trying to say, right? Yes. What yeah. happens if they good at time? How will we know he's good? They might not throw to anybody. Oh, they don't have any good receivers or tight ends. And I was like, we're good. They just don't. So that's part of what makes me feel like a crazy person during the football offseason. <laughs> yeah. It's too long. You can take yourself in too many circles. Well, Listen, and Doug, I will admit, I was a little surprised when I saw your name on the, on the list for the, the tight end podcast. I'm like, wait a minute, Doug? What's, what's he, did he misread the, the Google I, Doc? Just in the mood to raise my blood pressure I figured, for 45 minutes. Yeah, I figured he just wanted to come on and rage for this topic. <laughs> I wasn't surprised at all that he was listed there. He was signed up. He was the first one signed up for this one. <laughs> Ashley's figured me out. Yes. All right. Well, maybe part of it is because Doug can help us out in this section. So the free agents this year, there, there's not a lot to talk about. Um, it, it's pretty, um, yeah, it, it, there's not, you know, Mike Jasicki's out there. Gronk is out there. There's, if, if the Browns are going to spend money, it should just be on David Njoku. So the draft is a different story. And Doug, one of the guys we were actually talking before we started recording, uh, this tight end class feels pretty deep. And that's sort of the buzz that's starting to build. And one of the guys who's in Mobile this year is Jeremy Rucker, played at Ohio State. Uh, Dane Brugler said he might be tight end one all of a sudden. Obviously, there's a long ways here between now and the draft. Is that the sort of player that maybe Browns fans should be keeping an eye on? I have PFF's big board up. 
and their top tight end is 60th on their big board. Uh, Ruckert is 87th currently. He's third among their tight ends. You know, that's sort of the range where I would think if the Browns are going to take a tight end, it would be in that third, fourth round range somewhere. So, So he might not even be there. But what can you tell us about him? Yeah, Jeremy Ruckert was a, a big-time tight end recruit for Ohio State. He was like a top 100 national player out of New York. And when he came here, it was like, hey, man, they're like recruiting a tight end to throw to. Because in the Urban Meyer era, there were a couple tight ends, Jeff Hyerman and Nick Vanette, who were both like productive tight ends at Ohio State, but they didn't throw to him. And they were both third-round picks after not getting used very much. And they were okay in the NFL. I think Hyerman had some injury issues. Uh, Vanette's still around, is, I think is on his third team. Just Okay. Uh, I think Ruckert's upside is is higher than those two. He came in as a pass catcher. I think actually he was a receiver in high school and sort of came in as like, hey, I can catch it. Can he block? He's really turned into a good blocker the last couple of years, and he's mostly a blocker. And so they didn't throw it to him enough, but you go through his highlight reel. He has one-handed catches. He'll he'll run down the seam and make a play. He had a couple drops this year, but he he is a guy who can catch the ball. And so he exactly is the kind of guy to me that needs, you know, the senior bowl is made for him because they didn't throw it to him and he's has more ability than he showed in, in the, in that part of the game. Um, but now I wonder if he's going to be like, so underrated, he's overrated because like, I don't, I don't think like Jeremy Ruckert in the second round is not the answer for the Browns. Like Jeremy Ruckert in the fourth round, he's better than Harrison Bryant and Harrison Bryant put up big numbers in college at a smaller program that threw the ball around and, threw, and he was their number one option. So I, I don't know, like I like Jeremy Ruckert, but is Jeremy, like if you said who has the better chance to be Mark Andrews, George Kittle kind of guy, I actually think it's David Njoku than Jeremy Ruckert, right? So like the, so like what, if you're drafting Ruckert in the third round, like what is that for? If it's because you're not signing Njoku, let's take a guy like that in the third round, man, I might just sign Njoku. Like you put a lot of work into this guy and he's still young. Um but I do think record will be good, but sometimes with this draft stuff, it's like, man, if you're drafting to replace a guy you already have, cause you're afraid of a couple extra bucks, just sign in Joku maybe. Yeah, Ashley. I mean, a, a few years ago, Harrison Bryant, fourth round pick again, I, I sort of feel like that's if the Browns do select the tight end and that might depend on what happens with Njoku. That That's sort of the range I, w- I would keep an eye on. I feel like I've put about, 20 positions in that spot but I I guess it's so obvious what their needs are I think it's like okay this is where where they're going to spend their real draft capital but then all the you know these day late day two day three picks are going to when they're taking flyers on guys and betting on upside that's when you start getting into your tight ends and probably a kicker whatever something like that yeah upside traits like we've talked about multiple times on this series already but you know I think with Ruckert in particular, like what's so hard is obviously if you know anything about Ohio State, how much they rely on receivers. Like I know Doug hates the small sample sizes, and this is a guy who would be coming to the NFL with a fairly small sample size, given the offense that Ohio State runs and these high-powered receivers that they really lean on. So yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. And like you're saying, Dan, I feel like every every one of these we do, we're talking about that third, fourth round range and how we would feel if they're if they're betting and taking a guy there. So um, I mean, I think that just kind of shows like how up in the air it is as, as it gets later. And, and I mean, we were just talking about around that spot for linebackers yesterday, I think. So um, there's a lot of options there, but I, I agree, you know, it's like with, with Njoku, like going back to the beginning of this podcast, like 
I, I do think there is still so much upside with him, a guy who's already been in the league for a while and who knows this system. So it's like, if, if that's the guy, I would not be afraid to spend the extra money on him instead of looking in the draft. If that's what you're worried about, I would just go get Njoku again. So our football insider said they were a seven when I asked what their confidence level was in, uh, in the Browns tight ends for 2022. So looking ahead, where, where are you guys right now? I thought seven was high, honestly. And I think a lot of them were just assuming that that would be with Njoku in the fold. I don't think Austin Hooper's a seven, right? Mary Kay wouldn't give Austin Hooper a seven. So, so like, what, like, what is that? It just feels like volume. It's like, they have three. Okay. Tight ends. I don't, I don't would that that's not a seven to me and you're betting you're still bet a lot of that seven has got to be in Joku upside if, and he's back. So I, I think they're a five. I mean, I, I don't know if we did a thing like their tight end position in the league. Are they in the top half of best tight ends? If you're talking about like the room, because like what matters the most is like who's the number one guy who gets most of the snaps. And as we just said, they don't have a tight end who's higher than 23rd, but their three tight ends combined did have a thousand receiving yards. I'd say they're more like a five, like they're fine. But in a league where there are certainly at least two handfuls of like game changing tight ends, they don't have one right now. Yeah, I think five is probably about right. 5.5 if Njoku comes back like there is still that upside element with him but given how much they use them it's like overall you look at that room and the production just has not been there now again I'm not going to relitigate all the possible reasons of why that could be but there's no debating there's no George Kittle Mark Andrews on this roster right now Go ahead, could you could you bring in Joku back and just be like very clearly David Ajoku is our number one tight end and like Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant will get in when they get in and we know what we're paying Austin Hooper, but that money's spent. And like we're gonna bring David and Joku back and we're gonna try to we're gonna try to give him 70 targets. You know, like we're gonna lean into this. We're gonna we're gonna try to get David and Joku. 50 catches and like that's going to be a priority in our offense because we think that's where the biggest upside for our offense is we already said he's a great blocker they like that's it and then like every now and then austin hooper's in but like right now i mean last year it's like every the first play of every game was a pass to austin hooper it's like well we better get our number one tight end going it's like what well, to do anything like could you do that and like to austin hooper go cash your check but you are clearly our second tight end right now would that make sense that you change the room without changing? You change the position without changing the players. I mean, I, th- I think if you pay Najoku, even if it's less than what Austin Hooper is making, I think if you make that commitment to him this year, I, th- I think that's essentially what you're saying. And the only reason Hooper would be here is because it's too expensive to move on from him. So let's agree on that then. Play Sign him, him and play I- him. Eat your chicken. I, I guess like my concern though with that is still like there's only so much football to go around like between Nick Chubb and if we're talking about retooling the receivers room and they need to look to the receivers more if they're going to do that like how much can they actually practically do that with Njoku like and say he's he's the, the a focal point of our offense like there's only so many possessions they have 
so that that is my like hang up somewhat on this about whether or not I think that could actually work with all this other stuff we're saying that needs to change but maybe they won't like change maybe the receiver how we want it to look in 2022 won't be how it looks at all quite honestly um we're still so far away but I do like question okay like at what point is that not really feasible anymore when you're taking into account Nick Chubb Kareem Hunt you know whoever you get in in the draft whatever So last year, the Browns played like 1,100 offensive snaps in 17 games. Austin Hooper played 717 snaps. David Njoku played 670. And Harrison Bryant played 402. So Hooper and Njoku basically basically played the same amount. But they they had at least one tight end on the field, like practically every snap, right? I mean, there's, there's almost no times when they don't have at least one tight end out there. So if, if those guys, if they combined had 1,400 snaps this, then instead of making it 700 and 700, let's make it 1,000 and 400. 1,000 for Njoku, Hooper goes down to 400, Brian has 400. That, I think, helps it, and that makes it more worth it. Because why should us, at this point, whenever there's one tight end on the field, why should it be Austin Hooper instead of David Njoku? I don't think there's a reason. And and I think the I think what I've learned in this podcast is it's really boring to talk about Austin Hooper because we've really barely mentioned him outside of just how he impacts Njoku's playing time. Like he just hasn't had a big impact on this team and he clearly isn't. Like he's not like the clear cut tight end one. So I mean, listen, I've been as critical of David Njoku as anybody, but I yeah, if that was the plan, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I think like at this point, when you're talking about Austin Hooper, the only reason to do that, to, you know, have scenarios where you're consistently putting him out there as the only tight end and not David Njoku is you're essentially like, it's not pragmatic, but essentially trying to like manifest that this just works out and that because of the money that magically he becomes a fit. There's no real reason to do that at this point, I don't think. All right. All right, so who's calling Austin? Ashley, do you want to call Austin and tell him that he's getting demoted? What is this, the Ashley Fix-It version of the podcast? Yeah. Again, call call Austin Hooper and let him know. Um, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm actually very tied up this afternoon, Doug. Maybe you can fill in for me on that. I know how much you love talking about Austin Hooper and the tight ends in general. I'll call him. I'll call him. Do you know, how many, do you know what his season high last year was for receiving yards in a game for Austin Hooper? His mm-hmm. high for a single game? I'm going to guess... 43, 60, 53 in the 13 to 10 win over the lions. He had a 53 game. game. He had three games of 40 yards receiving 53, 42 and 40. (sighs) It's a lot of money for that. To, to lead the team in receiving against the Lions. (laughs) That's the equivalent of ordering six chicken fingers and or eating two. Ashley, I hope hope that you are a kind of person who eats every chicken finger you order. I would be disappointed to find out that you are. I would not order six, though. That's how I would, you know, I would avoid the spending the extra money just to be safe. My children are very hungry. They're growing. They're teenagers. Are these like the the canes? Are these like the canes chicken fingers? They are. Yeah. Yeah. I could probably do six of those. No, no way. I call BS on that. Well, now I have an excuse to go to Canes. 
So there we Expense go. Expense it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For science. All right. I think that's everything we need about the tight ends, unless we want to spend some time on Steven Carlson, his comeback from his torn ACL. I, I will say, I think they kind of liked Steven Carlson, but not, yeah, I was going to say a Steven Carlson. to the point that we need to really spend a lot of time on him. A Steven Carlson discussion would be the equivalent of our Tony Fields discussion on the Linebackers podcast. Right. We did have one of those, by the way. And if you missed it, you got to subscribe to the Orange and Brown Talk feed. Go go find it. Look for our Linebackers pod. And you'll hear some real Tony Fields discussion, which, like I said, you will not hear on any other football podcast out there. So this is the one uh, for all of that. Okay, uh, coming up here after the break, I'm going to talk to Mary Kay Cabbage. She's going to check in for Mobile, everything she's seen and heard down there at the Senior Bowl. Again, Ashley, I'll talk to you later. Back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, bringing Mary Kay back in here now to talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl and Mary Kay. Big quarterback day today uh, in Mobile. I guess the thing that was most interesting to me was Kenny Pickett saying that the Browns were one of his first meetings. Kenny is obviously potentially the number one quarterback in this draft. We'll see how it all shakes out over the next few months. But right now, that's sort of how it stands. Is it significant that the Browns have met with him? They've also met with Malik Willis. Are are these significant meetings that should kind of perk our ears up when we hear about them? I think so. I think it's significant because I know there have been years where they really weren't interested in the top quarterbacks in the draft. Uh, You know, over the past several years, uh, you know, in – after they drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall, they weren't going in and really spending all kinds of time on the quarterbacks. But now I think it's pretty obvious that they have to leave no stone unturned in their quest to improve their quarterback play. That might mean that Baker Mayfield comes in next season, plays lights out and gets an extension and goes on to take the Browns to win Super Bowls. But they have to plan for the possibility that it doesn't happen like that. And therefore, they're doing their due diligence on the quarterbacks in this draft. And five of the top six quarterbacks in this draft were here at the Senior Bowl. So I got an opportunity to watch them uh, for the past couple of days. And it's been very, very interesting. This is not uh, supposedly a strong quarterback class per se, but there are some intriguing possibilities. Two of the ones that you just mentioned, Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, the Browns have talked to both of those guys. They probably talked to the other three here as well, because that's what they're here for, to do all of their due diligence on these guys. But I do think it's significant that they were one of the first to to talk to Kenny Pickett. Now, Kenny Pickett is supposed to be the number one quarterback to go off the board in this draft. Even if he's not Joe Burrow, uh, although he has been compared here to Joe Burrow, by Senior Bowl Executive Director Jim Nagy. Not necessarily in a complete player comparison, but sort of a a vibe personality comparison. Uh, But quarterbacks always go higher than they're supposed to in a year when you don't think that it's a good quarterback year because people still need them. People still have to take a chance on them. So to think that that he's going to fall to, to the Steelers and spend another, you know, 10 years in Pittsburgh where he went to college at number 20, they would have to trade up to get him. I don't think he's going to last that long. I don't even think he's going to last uh, to number 13 where the Browns pick. If he does, you know, maybe he would be a good developmental project prospect where he could come in and sit for a year behind Baker Mayfield, let Baker play out this fifth year option and just see what happens after that. Uh, So I think that's very significant 
I liked what I heard from him today. I liked what I saw from him on the field. And the same thing with Malik Willis, who uh, I have been talking about and writing about as a very, very intriguing dual threat quarterback. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you know, Mel Kuyper, I, I saw somewhere compared uh, Kenny Pickett to Derek Carr, uh, mm-hmm. which of course is interesting. Our podcast listeners know what that comparison means to, to us on this podcast. Um, and then also when I saw your tweet today about, you know, Kenny Pickett and him meeting with the Browns or, or what, uh, when I saw a tweet about that, it was, I was watching the NFL Network's coverage from the Senior Bowl from uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And Kenny, they showed Kenny running a play action boot and throwing a strike. Mm-hmm. And so it was just all perfect timing, right? Like, oh, maybe yeah. this would be the guy. But the question I have here is like, if Kenny Pickett fell to 13 and the Browns did pull the trigger on picking him, that's basically saying like Baker Mayfield's done, right? Like you can't pick a guy at 13 and like never play. He's got to be your guy, right? Whether it's a quarterback, a wide receiver, a deep, whatever it is, you can't just pick a guy that's never going to play for you. Well, I mean, stranger things have happened in the NFL, of course, <laughs> but the, you know, the, the idea there would be that, yes, you are uh, going to be preparing your new first round pick to be your starting quarterback. But if you look at what happened in San Francisco this year, they traded up to draft Trey Lance last year in last year's draft. And they still started Jimmy Garoppolo this year because he was the best option to win games for them this year. And he took them to the playoffs and he took, took them deep into the playoffs. So uh, that's definitely uh, another possibility that you could draft a guy somewhere fairly high and, and look at him as something other than your starter in 2022. Some people think that Malik Willis is that guy that, you know, you can take him at a place like 13 and that, uh, you know, that you can develop him and work with him and bring him up the learning curve. And then he would be ready to go for you in 2023. Uh, and in the event that you end up with two good quarterbacks, it's a good problem to have because then you can trade one for assets and you can get something out of that. So uh, I actually think it, it wouldn't be a bad strategy at all. If you think that one of these quarterbacks has some potential to be a good starter for you or for someone else to go ahead and, and pull the trigger because you might be able to get something out of it one way or the other. So have you generally, I mean, it's two days and a couple interviews, but have you generally been impressed with what you've seen from these quarterbacks that you've seen there? I have, I have been, I have been pretty impressed uh, with, with a lot of them, just in terms of, uh, you know, their personalities, they're very polished, they're, they're handling themselves really, really well in the interview process, they're showing great leadership skills. I mean, we talked to uh, North Carolina's Sam Howell yesterday, and, and, and these guys just are exhibiting uh, the qualities that you need in a quarterback, you need good, positive, strong leadership. And I think all of these guys are showing that. Um, I talked to Ritter for a little bit today too. And he, you know, he was a really interesting guy to talk to from Cincinnati. Uh, so they're very, very mature for the fact they're only, you know, 22 years old in some cases, some not even that. Um, and I, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Now I talked to Jim Nagy, the executive director of the senior bowl one-on-one today, because he's from the Cleveland area and I know him and, you know, so we have a little bit of a history uh, in, in this business. And so I got an opportunity to catch up with him one-on-one today and he raved about 
mean, he just raved about Kenny Pickett and everything that he brings to the table from that leadership standpoint. And you can see it just in a, in an interview, you can see that he does have that. You know how we talk about Joe Burrow is Joe cool. Well, I'll tell you what, Kenny Pickett is Kenny cool. I mean, he, <laughs> he is uh, very much like Joe in terms of that personality, very self-assured guys do gravitate toward to him and, uh, and that's the kind of thing that you want to see in your quarterback, especially a young guy that you might have to start pretty soon. And, and a guy that sort of bet on himself too, you know, to mm-hmm. get extra year at Pittsburgh and, and kind of turn himself into, again, like we said, the guy that could be, end up being the number one quarterback in this draft. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it was Jim Nagy who talked him into going back for his senior year at Pitt. And he told me today, he said, Uh, He had been told that teams said he was a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick, maybe even a sixth round pick if he had come out last year. Now he's looking at going, you know, probably in the top 10, uh, but certainly in the top half of the draft, depending on how the evaluation evaluations shake out from the NFL teams, because that's when you really start to get a feel for what teams think of these quarterbacks and where they're going to go is senior bowl and then private workouts combine and then it really starts to fall into shape all right mary Kay from uh, mobile what off season this was a busy podcast today we had hugh jackson off the top talked a little tight ends in the middle and then mary Kay uh coming back to tell us about what she saw at the senior bowl uh i know you're traveling back tonight mary Kay. so safe travels uh we'll let you go get on your plane sounds good thanks a lot